You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That's breads and spreads by Fred. Fred offers a wide selection of cookies and brownies and jellies and jams. Everything is fresh, never frozen. Everything is made in small batches. These flavors are not found in stores. And LA customers get free pickup if you guys don't want to do the delivery option. Guys, so go to fredsbs.com, use that coupon code NOLOVELOST to get 20% off your order. I don't know about you, I'm not normally a jam person, but oh my gosh, his Paradise Raspberry Jams are amazing. And his brown sugar buddies go perfectly with tea and coffee. Guys, go get yourself a treat. The weather's warming up. Go treat yourself to a nice sugary snack. All right, on that note... Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something. Supposedly, anybody but no, there are times we hate our heads in sadness. We We had to go back. Debatable. Was it destiny that brought us back, Will? Was it? Was it? (laughs) Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we dissect each episode of the hit ABC series Lost one by one for years. From now until the end of time. Um, <laughs> like that's what that's what we're doing. We're 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 going to be talking about lost until the singularity, right? Pretty much. <laughs> uh, I I honestly I I mean I I love this show. I don't know if we're gonna make it. Uh, I'm Will Link. With me as always, Megan Salinas. Hey everybody. And we are here to talk about season two. <gasps> How did we get here? Episode one, Man of Science. Man of Faith. What? It's almost like we've been talking about that for like a whole season. Season two. Um, yeah, I, I'm i both like shocked we're finally at season two and also we're only at season two. <laughs> this is one of those things where I'm both ecstatic and also apprehensive because I know that season two starts to introduce a few elements where story-wise, a little later on down the line, don't pan out in a way I necessarily agree with. But, oh my, this episode in particular, I'm not gonna lie, guys, I had a really crummy day, with the exception of seeing this episode. And seeing this episode, actually, there was a moment that put a smile on my face and a song in my heart, and uh, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. But... Point being is that there's a lot of good elements in season two, and this episode is an indicator of a lot of those things. Was the song in your heart, Make Your Own Kind of Music by Mama Cass? (laughs) Now, I have to ask, when you first, like, 
for like I don't know if you remember. I, I want to get into it because <laughs> okay. I very much remember. So let me just so let me let me let cut me, the bit short and say yes, that was yes. the song. In my yes, heart. I want to uh, I want to hit a couple of things before we get to that. Uh, that this episode was written by Damon Lindelof and directed by Jack Bender. You know these are the oh, big the biggies. That makes sense. Um, that pans out. And it is very interesting because I half expected you to come in and be like, and here's where I start to hate everything. <laughs> uh, because season two is where it can be argued that the show starts to bite off more than it's ever <laughs> willing to chew. Yes. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. There are one or two elements in this episode that downright infuriate me, but, but, but the good stuff is so so good. The good stuff is so good. Well, it's so good. <laughs> it's all I good stuff, right... Megan. Just believe it's all good stuff. I am downright giddy to talk about the good stuff in this episode. Well, we usually start with the flashback, but instead, I want to start with the opening. Yeah. And then we'll get into the flashback. Then we'll go back to the island. But we have to talk about this opening because I think what you were about to ask me was, what did I feel like the first time I saw this uh-huh. episode? So. In between the season one finale and the season two premiere, my life went through some very crazy changes. Like what? I moved to Los Angeles. Oh, no way! So I had gone through, like, I'd watched all season one, pretty much every episode with my mom. Like, we'd always make sure to watch, like, when I was living back home in Long Island. And then I came out here. And I still didn't know a ton of people, so I didn't yet meet friends of mine who watched Lost and and things like that. And my roommate knew that it was very important. It's like, it was very (laughs) important. My roommate Jared, he was like, I know you have to like, you're going to go in your room and you're going to (laughs) hide this episode's going on and you're going to watch it. At least you didn't have to share a room with him. And he knew that like, uh, he knew I had no one to really talk about. So this whole summer, I'm like, what's going to be in this hat? Like, what is it going to be? And I can't remember what I thought it was going to be. But I remember the episode starts. And, you know, they put uh, the character who, well, we'll just say it's 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 Desmond. But we don't know who Desmond we is We don't know who time. Desmond is yet. And he puts the, the record on. And it's this Mama Cass song. And it's make your own kind of music. Which is also... Very much about doing your own thing, which is clearly a message from the creators of the show. Like, yeah, we're going way different than just being a show about people stranded on an island. We're about to go crazy. And I'm watching it, and he's just going through a morning routine. But there's something off about everything. There's something off about, like, the breakfast nook that he's eating at. The light isn't quite right. There's something, like... Like, there's something, something disconcerting, something and, uncanny. And there's a there's like the computer, it doesn't seem quite modern enough. Like things don't seem like everything's just a little off. Then he's injecting himself with well, with the uh, the computer you bring up, it's not a computer from the early two thousands. Yes. It is straight up what was that game that was that movie, War Games? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it's some early eighties. Yeah, it looks like it's a computer out of one of those eighties hacker movies. <laughs> and this character is clearly going through a routine that he does all the time. You can tell, like this is this man's routine. Who is he? Where are we? What is happening? And I know that when this started, I know for a fact I wasn't watching this the first time saying, this is the hatch. 
I know that I was like, hmm, who is this guy? Is this a new character, or is this is this going to be revealed to be like Soy or something? Like, what is happening? And it's it's going along, and then there's like this crash, mm-hmm. and like what is what is this? And you see like the music changes, like bum 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 bum, bum. and he's and he's putting on a jumpsuit and he goes and he's looking through this really elaborate set of mirrors, and it's like what is going What's on? What's happening? And then I remember the shot coming up, and you realize it was them. That had, was the dynamite. That they had just blown the hatch. And this guy is living a life in this hatch. Again, I don't remember what I thought was going to be in the hatch, but it it blew, it blew my mind. And I remember that then it went to commercial. Yeah. It's like, hey, chew on that for a couple minutes. And I walked out out of my room and I went right up to my roommate and I was like Jared like this won't mean anything to you but there's like a guy in the hatch there's a guy in the hatch like I was like I was ranting and raving and I like a lunatic and I was doing it really fast because I knew I had to run back in before they com- came back from commercial And but I just I had to express this to somebody and he was just looking at me he's like that's great man <laughs> he's like yeah there's a guy in the hatch that's totally I, so you, you bet. I bet there are two guys in the hatch. <laughs> but it was a game-changing moment of television for me, and in a way, it, it I was probably although there were some things that always surprised or moved or shocked me about Lost, nothing ever hit me like that. Where you immediately had to to tell somebody. Where you're like, this is this well, is the thing that that's happening. I don't know what this means. Like, what kind of repercussions are this going to? And I was, I was, I realized at that point. Then I was prepared for anything with this show, and also, uh, you know, like I said, it was a weird, like, it was like a show that I had come to love that I'd always watched with my family. Now I'm alone watching it, and this thing's hitting me like what, like well, and so. It's- it's literally opened up a brand new world. Yes. Because whatever you thought was going to be in there, you didn't think it was Desmond living his life. Like, that was never in the realm of possibility. So seeing this, and then and then also with that, the shot co- coming upward and looking up in the direction where, you know, early, back when season one ended, we were descending into the hatch coming back out and seeing those faces peering in it's it's tell it's very much visually telegraphing what you're about to see is a different perspective it's a different everything you thought you knew we're kind of inverting yes we're inverting it a little bit we're showing it at a different angle uh visually speaking i think this is a brilliant opening it is absolutely fantastic piece of television and yeah I'm with you well I don't remember what I thought was going to be in the hatch probably dinosaurs or a monster or or a bomb or um, a secret laboratory which isn't far off from what this is but I did not expect to see a guy doing sit-ups and making breakfast and punching a code into a like it was not what I thought it was going to be and it's a great introduction to this character it's a great introduction to the weird new set of circumstances that are going to sort of permeate this season as a whole. And it's, a, again, that just that visual of the camera coming up with 
both John Locke, the, the man of faith, and Jack, the man of science, peering down into the darkness, like, it's a striking sequence. It really is. And it, it's a well-edited sequence. I think the music choice is inspired. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. So let's get into what what happens next. Let's do the flashback, since that's what we usually yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So, flashback, Jack is in the ER. He's got terrible he's a, hair. He's a young he's a young man with terrible, terrible that hair. That hair. And I mean, I know they had to make it look like he's like, younger he's, and he's... He's a fresh-faced boy. Oh, my God. The, whatever wig they put on him. I will say, though, that as bad as his hair was, they do succeed in making him look more boyish. Like, That's true. He, he does look like a young doctor just starting out. And there's been a horrible car accident. And there are two victims. One of them's this this woman that he starts working on, and then there's an there's another man, and basically Jack has to make a choice, like of who he's gonna work on. Yeah. And he chooses the the woman, and the guy dies. And I think that's actually another really well done sequence where you almost don't know what's going on because you have two sets of of medical professionals talking about two different people, and then one of them flatlines, and one of them stabilizes almost at the same time. She stole his soul. <laughs> Just like that baby stole Boone's soul. <laughs> that baby's got Boone's soul. Aaron has Boone's soul. That is canon. I will hear nothing, nothing else and that Sh contradicts that. And then Shannon will look at it, and she'll imprint herself upon the, <laughs> the baby. What does that mean? It means that that baby... Is gonna grow up to be in love with Shannon, much like Boone was. Well, that's not gonna be great because she's gonna get shot, and then the baby's gonna steal her soul too. <laughs> or Walt's going to steal her soul. I don't know. I'm getting the strong indicate. We'll get to it, but I kind of feel like Walt is about to steal Shannon's soul. She's like, he's like, you lost my dog. You had one job. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, uh, turns out this woman is our old friend Julie Bowen. Who yeah. is uh, Sarah, the, the woman, future, the future Mrs. Shepherd? Mm-hmm. And she has to dance at her wedding. That's what she says. She said, "I have to dance at her wedding." But Jack's like, "This ain't gonna happen." He's like, "Ooh, about that, sweetie." Mm, no, I, I do want to say that I, I love the sequence where he's breaking the news to her, and then it's immediately followed up. By Christian Shepherd of all people. Also looking young. Also looking young. Pulling his son aside. And now I have to ask you, Will. Like, for me, maybe maybe this is just with the, the benefit of having just watched through season one. Because when, when season two initially aired, you know, we did have a three-month break. Yes. Um, but having just come off the end of season one and going into season two, was it me or was it real weird to see... Christian Shepherd, this parental. Like, it was almost as if the two had switched personalities. Jack was the cold, detached one saying, I can make the hard choices. And Christian's like, hey, maybe maybe don't be a dick. Maybe maybe well, giving people false hope is, like, actually okay. And maybe that's supposed to be Christian's arc. Like, hey, he wasn't always terrible, even though they showed us that flashback when Jack was a kid indicating that he was always terrible. Uh, it just seems like a little bit of a contradiction to me, but um, I wanted well, to get your, your thoughts. Christian always struck me as the kind of person who was probably always more hard on his 
family and son than he would have been on Strangers. Okay. Uh, just by the way, like, he'll... I'm going to say this about Christian Shepard. And maybe I'm being too influenced by this episode, but I think seeing him talk to Sawyer in the barn, seeing some other little bits of Christian's behavior, I think Christian is much more of a people person than Jack <laughs> and a people pleaser than Jack. And he's the kind of guy who he'd have a few drinks at a party, tell a charming story, and everyone would be like, oh, that Christian Shepherd, he's the, he's why, a delight. It's why whenever he got into trouble with the hospital, it was always just a slap on the wrist. But his son, he would come down on harder. And what Christian says to him is, is right here. You should give, I mean, look, there is there is something to the idea of a bedside manner, and there is some idea to give. I mean, you shouldn't tell him. See, Jack is <laughs> Jack is all about extremes, which is part of his problem because there's goes a, zero to sixty real yeah, quick. There's a middle ground between, as he says, hand out some hope. As Christian says, hand out some hope to. I will fix you. I will do this. And <laughs> or, if I don't, I will run up every stair in the stadium. Conversely, you will never walk again. Yeah, he, like, Jack, it's either one or the other with him. It's like, you're never going to walk. I will fix you. I am God. <laughs> like, there's no middle ground with him. No. And you want to know what the worst thing that probably ever happened to Jack was that he fixed her because then he got a God complex. <laughs> He's like, I did it. I am God. (laughs) I work miracles. (laughs) So, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's, uh, like, in Christian, I I think Christian understands that middle ground a little bit better, which is why, although he, you know, he's a, a drunk, he probably was a pretty decent doctor. I... He had a good bedside manner. I, I... Definitely see the interpretation of this is a man trying to give his son good advice. I definitely see that. But given how manipulative we've seen, and and maybe this is a little bit of a retconning of his character, or maybe, again, they want to show that he has more depth than just what we see from Jack's perspective a lot of times, because from Jack's perspective, he is a very cold, hard, manipulative man. Um, But... Like so, so maybe they're trying to show that there's a little bit more to that this man than that. But at the same time, knowing his capacity for manipulation, it wouldn't surprise me if the reason he's telling Jack, "Hey, maybe give your patients a little bit, a little bit of false hope," is less because it's important for Jack to learn a lesson about bedside manner and more about you're going to make the hospital look bad if you make all of our patients feel bad. You know, but... Um, oh, no, and I I'm, s- not, I'm not discounting what, what you said at yeah, all. Yeah, the I, only I, I reason... I definitely get that interpretation. I, I think... I think maybe it's because I think it's good advice that I think it's genuine, you know, because well, I think it's legitimately the right thing. Well, like you said... There's a line between, there is no hope for you, <laughs> give up now, and, hey, we're going to do everything we can to help you. He's also, yeah, Jack, when he does talk to it, he's not, he's like, he's like, yeah, you're never going to walk. By the way, that guy you hit, dead. <laughs> he's 
playing a lot on her right now. <laughs> you killed her, him, you know? Uh. And she's like, oh man, that lot to process, lot to process right now. And then Jack meets uh, her fiance, who we. Dude! Who we know isn't gonna be long for this story for a couple of reasons. One, because we know Jack ends up marrying her. And two, uh, I mean, he is already like, wait a minute, what, like, she needs help going to the bathroom? What? Like, so much for in sickness and in health. Can I just say that we can add this guy to the list of really shitty, <laughs> really shitty flashback characters along with Susan and Randy. And uh, do we have any more? <laughs> oh, man, Randy's a bad one. Randy. Susan, yeah, these are... We okay. could add this guy to the yeah, list. Does, does this guy have a name? Because, like, yeah, you're, you're know. hanging out with Susan and Randy now. No name. No. Oh, and uh, Claire's old fiancé, too, because he, he turned on his heels, too. Let me tell you what. Yeah, this guy would get... This guy should go hang out with Claire's fiancé. Yeah, because All they the fiancés who abandon... Now... <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing, I guess, though. Some people aren't up for... I mean, I get it. It's especially when you're young and you don't think anything like that is ever going to happen to you or your spouse. But like, if you're planning on spending the rest of your life with somebody, and then something happens, and you're like, mm, "I didn't sign up for this," you're a bad person. Yeah. Like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But like, it doesn't make it any less of a shallow thing to do. How uh. Like, how men, how deep into a relationship do you think before you can't abandon the person? <laughs> how late is too late to abandon yeah. ship? Like, if you're with somebody, like, six months and this happens and you're not sure what the future is, how Whoa. long do you stay? Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Because you can't leave right away, right? Because then you're a real scumbag. <laughs> but, like, when's, I mean, that's really... That's, when's the point to break it off? <laughs> let me tell you what. That's really... Uh, that's really a pickle. That's really hell. Like, if, like, you know, I've been dating this girl, it's been about four months, I don't think it's gonna work out, I'm gonna break up with her. And, and then, then she she's, gets into a car accident. And then it's like, what do you do? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I would Granted, say... Granted, these two were engaged. Yeah, they were engaged. But he clearly, he clearly wasn't really in love with her. Because that's not real love. Like, real love is a really hard choice. Let me tell you what. I have a good first date with someone. They get paralyzed. I still might stick it out. <laughs> I might be like, well, hey, you know. I mean, but I say this as someone who's older and desperate. Less, <laughs> I was going to say less superficial. Because young that people too. are real superficial. That too. I am less superficial. <laughs> which is ironic that I feel like I'm dating less now that I've lowered my standard. <laughs> at least you date some. I don't date at all. Um, but the, um, talking about this, though, like, we're, we're meant to immediately despise this guy. But, yeah, I will say, though, if you are thinking about breaking up with somebody, what's worse? Break, like, waiting to break up with somebody because you have, like, a trip coming up or it's Valentine's Day. Waiting until after that trip or after that holiday, to actually break up with them, or breaking up with them before it happens. What do you think is worse? I, I want to throw this out there for 100% personal reasons. I think... 
I had somebody break up with me once right before they were gonna come visit me and mm-hmm. I had planned all this fun stuff for us to, to do. Like this was a long distance thing and I was very excited about everything I had planned. And I was really upset mm-hmm. that they didn't come. But in retrospect, I don't know. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I think I would have still rather them had come. Because I was about to say, but it does kind of taint all that fun memory. And then you'll think, like, we had all that fun, and now it's... And now it's it was the all memory a, of those It was all a lie. Yeah. That's the thing, too, is because it's like, it's clearly like this person's thinking about breaking up with you, or they're going to break up, but they're really just waiting for the trip or the holiday okay, to be done. Okay, I, I think the legitimate <laughs> question, I think the legitimate thing to do and this has been relationship talk with will and megan is <laughs> welcome you should, to our new podcast if you're no going, love lost which could also be a relationship <laughs> talk podcast <laughs> so i think if you are going to break up with the person you should just do it you shouldn't you shouldn't go on that trip and you there's, shouldn't there's never a good time there's yeah. never a good time to do it I say, and it's being more honest, and we should always go with honesty. I concur, and because I, I, I'm speaking as somebody who did get broken up with right after a trip, and it was uh, a trip the first time I had been to a particular country, and so now anytime I think about that trip, I think about like, oh yeah, that was when this person was getting ready to dump me. Everything that happened while we were there was a lie. Way to taint my memories of my first trip to this particular country. Now, so, cool, cool, cool. Thanks for that. Go fuck yourself. Now, do you know for a fact that entire time they were planning on breaking up with uh-huh. you? Okay, because they did it two weeks later. Because there is, there is something to the idea. I don't know who this person is. I don't know the story. And obviously, he had and obviously, been thinking about it for months. Okay, so that's the because. Because I could imagine being a scenario with someone like, I don't know about this, but maybe going on this trip will... We'll make... fix it. We'll, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll ease my doubts. But then even then, you might... Maybe there's a way to address that ahead of time. I don't know. We're not going to solve love here. <laughs> We're both single people. We're both alone. Let's We're just both move on. bitter and alone. We're like Desmond and his hatch. <laughs> Sarah can never dance again, and she's got... Suitors. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with us? You know what? Because she's so bright and optimistic. She's like, you know what? You don't have to fix me. I'm just going to roll around at my wedding. I don't even care. It's going to be great. It's yeah. going to be awesome. So this gets to now Jack is, after meeting up with the fiance and stuff, now Jack is weirdly determined. Yeah. To, <laughs> I am going. <laughs> because there's nothing that motivates Jack more than spite. <laughs> And needing to be right. So, he's about to perform the surgery on her that he doesn't think is going to work. And she, like, is like, hey, hey, Jack, come here. She she says, "I, I know I'm not dancing anymore. And then Jack, in his most serious Jack face, is like, I will fix you. I'm going to fix you. And you could tell... The, the whole staff around there, all the other, like, nurses and stuff, they're like, oh, <laughs> the fuck? They're like, mm. 
Like, you don't say that. Like, there's, there's two extremes. It's <laughs> like, how many times do you think the nurses go, oh, he said he was going to fix the patient again. Why does he keep saying that? He never fixes them. Yeah, they all die. They all die on the table. I would love that the twist of this series be that Jack is just, he's a terrible doctor. He's a doctor. He's legitimately a doctor who works out, but he's terrible. And everything he tries to do, the people die. Boom. Dead. No! They're like, and I want, so I, I want. saved Rose that one time. I want Locke to go suddenly just be like, uh, I don't think you're a very good doctor. <laughs> you know, Jack, you and I see the world very differently. And for one, you you see the hatches like this, and I see you as a terrible doctor. <laughs> so, so next time we see Jack in the flashback. He's running up and down every steps in a stadium. There's a word for it that I didn't write down because I couldn't figure out how to spell it or pronounce it. <laughs> but it's when it's basically uh, perpetual cardio where you're running up stairs. And uh, we used to call it the bleachers when uh, when I was in high school and we had to run up the stairs. It meant that I was like, okay, we're doing the bleachers today, and it's like, oh no, it's the worst. It is the worst pain. Uh, and I was in, I was still in high school cross country when this episode aired. So seeing this, I was like, I feel it. I feel it. It hurts. It hurts me so much. And there's someone else running the steps too. And they happen to be running. Uh, they start racing. Alongside each other and they start racing. <laughs> Jack really starts racing. I mean, I think, let's be honest. This, this gentleman is who we will see. Uh, he's definitely the type of person to be like, oh, okay. Like, that's how it's going to be. Okay, I'm game. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. In, in a fun way. In a fun way. But Jack is like, I need to win. I need to beat that random stranger over there. Jack is would always be the one to start the race. But Desmond's the kind of guy who finishes the race. Yeah. Woo. So they're <laughs> running. And, of course, Jack, like, twists his ankle or whatever. Like, ah, he's down. Which is, it, it's so funny because most of season one, we talked about how Boone desperately wanted to help. Boone desperately wanted to be useful and to do good. And in hindsight, it's kind of interesting that he latched on to Jack initially because that same sort of drive exists within Jack. Yeah. Like, he wants to do good, but in a lot of ways, he's really hapless at it. So yes. it's kind of interesting that Boone latched on to Jack in hindsight. It's not something that I ever picked up if in you, season one. Jack tries too hard. He and does. when you try too hard, you press. And when you press, you screw up. You become your own worst enemy. Yeah. Um, so we'll just call him his name. Desmond comes over to Jack and he's like, oh, you, you were trying to race me. <laughs> Jack's like, no, I wasn't. And, you know, he's taking a look at his foot. And basically they get to talking. And Jack says about how, uh, you know, he's got a lot on his mind. He's like, oh, it's a girl. And he goes, and it's a patient. And he goes, a girl patient. And Jack says that he made a promise he couldn't keep. He made a promise to fix her. And, and Desmond's like, well, let me ask you. Like, what if you did fix her? 
He's like, but I didn't. He goes, but what if you did? <laughs> Which is like... <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Jack might be talking about a metaphorically <laughs> fixing someone. You don't know what's going on, Desmond. I love you. But you don't know the context of what this man is talking about. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I love Desmond. And I am with everything he says on the show. But in reality, that's a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> <You> just... <laughs> Could you imagine being like, I broke a promise to somebody, and like this this random gentleman with an accent goes, but what if you didn't? And you're like, but I did, though. <laughs> but gonna, what if you didn't? I'm going to try this at work. <laughs> I'm going to try this at work tomorrow. And when See my boss goes. asks me something, but what if I did? <laughs> but you didn't do it. But what if I did? <laughs> oh, I need you to send out these reports. But what if I did? But what if I did already? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, clearly didn't. <laughs> um, and basically, Jack's like, it's going to take a miracle. And he's like, don't you believe in miracles? And of course, Jack does Again, not. a lot of nonsense, Desmond. I love you, but a and lot of then, nonsense. after he makes a joke about his, his piece of advice about keeping it elevated, keeping his <laughs> leg elevated, he says, see you in another life. And Desmond goes off. Later, we got to Jack. He's at Sarah's bedside. He smells. Sarah's come out of the surgery. Big smart ass. She's like, oh, you smell. He goes, oh, I was running up every stair. And, the, and Jack gets very emotional. Again, and, Matthew Fox, excellent actor. And he talks about... You know, how he couldn't fix her, and he feels bad, and she's like, you're joking, right? And he's like, what? Because she can move her her toes. And Jack immediately gets up, and he does some doctory thing where he's checking. Like, can you feel this? Can you be poking her? And there, she's wiggling her toes, and everyone's crying, and, and he fixed her. He and fixed then her. they get married and live happily ever after, and that's the end that's the, of that that's chapter. That's the end of the series. <laughs> Nothing of note happened after that. Um, I just, I have to say, uh, this was a really, maybe it's just because of um, Desmond's charm, you know, that permeates later on. But I wanted to, and, and we'll, we'll get to it a little bit more when we get to the island stuff, but in terms of character introductions, and maybe it's better to wait on this, but um, I think it's so interesting how I feel like this character introduction, in terms of the sequence of events that we get it, first in the hatch, then in the flashback, then back in the hatch again, I feel like that sequence of events works and flows seamlessly and makes for a really good payoff by the end of the episode. And I'm wondering, when the, the reason I'm, I'm bringing it up is I'm wondering why this feels so right when introducing characters like Nikki and Paolo later on feels so forced and so cheap. Well, because one could argue that introducing Desmond here and putting him in a flashback here is a really cheap way to establish him as a character because it's like well we never saw him before like he could have been in a flashback in season one like we'll get with Anna Lucia a little later on but I love this I love the way his well, reveal is executed in this episode well one thing is that there is there is mystery and magic to the way they reveal him 
the fact that they had met, the fact that he says something like, see you in another life, and then we see that he sees them in what's essentially a whole other life for these people. I feel people. like they, they distinctly hired an actor. They were like, we need somebody with a great, with a very distinctive we need a, accent. We need a charming Scotsman. Yeah. We always need a charming Scotsman. That's a fact. So, let's get to the island. They've blown open the hatch, and, uh... Hurley's freaking out. He's chanting about the numbers while Locke and, <laughs> while, uh, Locke and Kate are trying to figure out how to get down there. But guess who doesn't want to go down there? Well, we took the trouble of blowing it to hell, and now I want to pack up my toys and go home. Uh, because clearly, our plan is foiled. This is never going to work. Yeah. Jack is being... It, it is weird, because Locke is right in this regard. And look, they are man of science, man of faith. And it's I just get weird. that... They've already blown up the hatch. Yeah, You've come like, this far. We've come this far, but Jack's arguing, like, we gotta get back to the people, and we're gonna do this tomorrow, but there's no reason for Locke not to just go... There's no reason not to explore. Yeah. Jack wants to go back fine, but... Yeah. In fact, you might even do a good divide and conquer in this regard of Jack being like, okay, this isn't going to work. Uh, you guys go ahead and investigate, see what's going on. If Jack still wanted to feel like he was in charge, well, you guys investigate. I'm going to go back and take care of the immediate problem. Like, yes. it's so simple. <laughs> so. But Jack's like, no, we got to, it has to be my way because I'm in charge. So. This is a rictatorship before rictatorships were a thing. And he... And, and Kate clearly wants to go down there, too. Like, yeah. her and Locke are getting excited looking well, at them. Because it's a big mystery. You, you've already blown open the door. A man died. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. A dude is dead now, and Jack throws up his hands and was like, well, this was all a waste of time. Cool, cool, cool. But he is right about it's going to be hard to get people down there. Yes. Like, that's a legitimate thing. It's, it's, it's going to be very difficult to repel 40 people down into that hatch. So it makes sense for him to go, okay, like, again, I need to go back and take care of the immediate problem because we don't know that this was all a giant ruse yet. <laughs> now a couple of other things happen in this moment. Hurley is giving Locke some shit about, I told you not to blow it. Why'd you blow it up? And Locke is clearly basically admitting, like, I ignored you. Yeah, yeah, he's doing it with a smile on his face. Which is some real zealotry. He's like bought into island power and magic. But Locke also, during all this, brings up some good points about, you know, we saw we saw a smoke monster. Like there's crazy shit going on here. We saw me get attacked by a literal column of smoke like three hours ago. Things are weird here. <laughs> now another thing going on in the scene is they discover that on the inside of the hatch door the word quarantine Ooh. is written so clearly but the fact that's on the inside it seems like are they in quarantine or is what out there in court like what like this was to keep yeah it's not like they see the outside of the hatch that says quarantine on it to yeah. indicate do not open this thing. There are diseases or zombies in here. <laughs> the diseases and zombies 
on the surface of the island, perhaps. Ooh. So that might be why Desmond needs to inoculate himself. That might be why Desmond has to type it's in a bunch of not so random numbers <laughs> into a computer. This secretly resident evil eight where Desmond is in you know, he has to inoculate himself from the T virus. And uh, now that the hatch has been blown open, soon Wesker and the rest of the Umbrella Corporation is going to converge on the island, and there's going to be a bunch of cool monsters, and actually, I'm kind of really excited about that. You're pitching a good uh, <laughs> spin-off series. It's like if Dead Island wasn't terrible. Resident Evil 8 Island Edition. I am down. Ooh. They're talking about doing some Lost Reboot stuff, so maybe it'll be that. Hey. <laughs> um... Hurley also has a nice moment with Jack. Yeah. Which gets into that bedside manner thing. This is where it's introduced, and he's absolutely right. Um, Hurley is like, the numbers are bad. I'm going to tell you my numbers story. And he tells him, everything that we know is true. And the only part that Jack latches onto is, you were in a psych ward? Which understandably upsets Hurley because he's dismissing all this other well, stuff. Especially because he prefaces the whole thing with, you're gonna call me crazy. Yeah. And Jack goes, no, I won't use those exact words. <laughs> uh, he does have a bad bedside manner. I, this is one of those things where I never went back and rewatched season two after season one, but I remember this line. I remember this line of, Hurley looking at Jack, completely heartbroken, and being like, hey, what's that thing called when doctors make you feel better just by talking to them? And he says, bedside manner. And he goes, yeah, yours sucks. I still remember that line. That is a, that is a line that stuck with me after all, the, all these years. Jack knows he's got bad bedside manner. Jack yeah. don't give a shit. No, he's like I'm gonna tell you the hard truths. I mean, and then make <laughs> and then make promises I can't keep. <laughs> the other thing is like I don't even know if Jack believes Hurley's a multimillionaire. Like I, I feel like because let me tell you what someone tells me that story. That's the first thing I latch on to. You won the lottery. <laughs> yeah, you're worth a uh, hundred and whatever that's million so dollars. Sad. Her, both people that Hurley's told this story to. Don't believe him, and the one person that believes him when he says the numbers are cursed is crazy old Rousseau. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jack, they all go back to the caves where everybody's been hiding out. Um, in the interim, Charlie is trying to calm people down. He's yelling, nobody's coming. Nobody's coming here. And uh, the, the French woman was crazy. Like, he's really on this... He hates that French I feel woman. Like, I feel like he could have clarified it by going, Everybody, it was a lie. <laughs> she lied to us. It's fine. By the way, listeners, apologies for my sniffles. <laughs> I realized I just snorted a bunch of... Uh, whenever I'm... Uh, apologies. <laughs> um, it's that time of the year when um, there's definitely a bunch of colds going around. So hang in there, Will. We believe in you. Um, Shannon has lost Vincent. 
You had one job, Shannon. I feel like, you know, Shannon says something like, this is the first time anyone's given me any responsibility and I blow it. I feel what about like, that bag at the airport? What about all those times that Boone asked you to do stuff? I feel like, yeah, that's the thing. I feel like Shannon, this isn't the first time I've heard Shannon say that, like, it's the only responsibility I've ever had and I blew it. Maybe it's because she blows those responsibilities and then immediately forgets them, and then somebody else charges her with something new, and then she blows that and then immediately forgets about it. So. <laughs> and it's just a vicious cycle. I do like, though, I do like how they, like, in previous seasons, I feel like, er, seasons, in the previous season, depending on where we pick up, I feel like she would have been like, eh, it's just a dog, or, oh, it's not my problem, you know, or maybe the dog shouldn't have run away. Like, she, like, it wouldn't have, she wouldn't have felt the need to find Vincent. Here, though, we definitely see a change. She's still Shannon, but she's like, I was given one job, and I failed. I have to fix it. Yes. Which is... A turning point, I think, for her, even though it's kind of contrived that Vincent's just gone. So her and Saeed go look for Vincent, and they get a little separated. And she starts hearing the uh, whisper, 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 whisper. (laughs) And it's funny, because now, currently on the season of The Walking Dead, I'm watching the villain, or the whisperers, yeah. So there's a lot of whispering. <laughs> I've got whispering on the brain. <laughs> so the whisperers, uh, the whispers. <laughs> the... So zombies or people dressed like zombies emerge from the from the palms. So oh. she's hearing stuff, and then all of a sudden she sees Walt. And he's drenched. He's wet, wet Walt, and he's who. who... BTW is wearing super baggy clothes and is shot super far away because that boy clearly grew. <laughs> he grew so much. Grew. There's a line, I can't remember whether it's in season three or four, where Locke has a vision of Walt and he go. it's one of my favorite stupid lines. Where he was bigger. Where he goes, he goes, where he's like, he's like, what, well, but he was big. And so he goes, like a giant. <laughs> Um, but but uh, but yeah. So she sees him. He whispers indistinctly, and I know that he whispers indistinctly because the subtitles on Hulu said whispers indistinctly. And if anybody happens to have a DVD that says differently, send me a screen cap instead of well actualing me on Twitter. <laughs> well, what is <laughs> Matt? I'm talking to you. <laughs> what is? <laughs> I'm calling you out. <laughs> what What do you make of this? Um. This, this is interesting because, you know, the, the hindsight indicates that this is clearly a production issue because the kid grew up and we, it's no longer believable that they've only been on this island for like a month or a month and a half or however long it's been. It's no longer believable given how much the kid has grown. I understand that. On the other hand, if it really was as much of a problem, then they probably, I hate to say it, they probably should have killed Walt. You know, they, like, because what what they've chosen to do is double down on some sort of esoteric, this is where one of the, this is one of what I'm talking about, of like, here they're setting up a thing 
that doesn't necessarily pan out well, yeah, because in the long run. I think one of the reasons why I have trouble of like, what do I make of this Walt scene is that I know that Walt will eventually become somewhat of a non-factor. Because is, is Walt able to, like, actual project? Yeah, that's exactly what well, I was going to say. It, it, or is or is it the smoke monster playing tricks? Or is well, it, like, what is it? And the fact, and we find out later that the whispers are, in fact, the, the spirits of people, you know, on the island. Um, so the fact that he whispers indistinctly, it's purposely misleading this isn't one of those things where they're setting up or, or maybe they were going to but like this doesn't feel to me like finding two corpses in a cave that you know as bad as the episode by the sea is you know it's not like finding two bodies in a cave and then later on getting an explanation about that, this is something that they double down later on on how important and how special Walt is, and then they hand wave it away. So in my in my and and also why Shannon? Like Jin had a closer relationship with the people on the boat. Locke had a closer relationship to Walt. But why she was looking for Walt's dog. Yeah, like that's the only thread, though. Like Walt and Shannon had nothing in common. Um, so I'm not sure. To me, you you remember when we were talking about the the episode where um, John Locke's legs weren't working anymore, and he has that vision of Boone. Yeah. Um, where it's that Teresa falls up the Upstairs, stairs. Teresa falls down, down the stairs. stairs. To me, this feels like a Teresa falls up the stairs moment. It feels like this is meant to be creepy and mis and and mysterious, and it's meant to put us on edge. But ultimately, it doesn't amount to anything. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll feel differently about it when Walt actually does make his formal exit from the show. But at the moment, I'm like, this this is a thing that doesn't work for me. It it feels pointless. Um, well, I don't know. Do, either do you way, feel different no, no, I do. I do feel like it's a little empty, but I, I only say that knowing where this is all going. Okay. Uh, that we never get, we never, because we never get a clear answer to what Walt's powers are, because I think what he is trying to do is he is trying to astral project <laughs> and, and warn yeah. Shannon or help, ask for help. Or also, like, warn them that, like... Because, especially because at this point, they're like, oh, there are no others, or the others aren't coming. Meanwhile, Walt's been kidnapped by the others. <laughs> Cut to now. Shannon is, like, telling everybody this lunacy. Which, to be fair, if you saw the boy that left, like, what, a day ago? You know, covered, you know, head to toe in water, and being like... Like, only being able to speak in whispers because presumably he's been so dehydrated. Like, I would have assumed that something happened to the raft and that, yeah, he actually physically washed up on shore. Um, I wouldn't have assumed ghost or astral projecting. <laughs> I always assume astral projecting. You always assume astral projecting? I'm when... not confident that you're really here with me right now. I mean, that's fair. You're that's at fair. home. Relaxing and just projecting yourself here. I've I've got my feet soaking in a tub of hot water with a bath bomb in it, and I've got uh, I've got my uh, a blanket and a cup of tea, and it is 
delightful. And I, yeah, I'm just astro projecting. I mean, it's so hard finding a parking place outside, and that's yeah, <laughs> just no good. It's so much easier just to go home and astro project myself here. So Jack comes back, and he gives a big speech. Um, <laughs> because he's Jack. About the hatch, and like, we found a hatch. And it's like, yeah, everybody knows this already. It's like, we found a hatch, and uh, we got a plan. And they're like, what happened to Arnst? And he's like, well, Arnst is... You can definitely tell he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy that definitely but then died. <laughs> Jack does the thing that his father said to do. He gives them the 1% of hope. He promises them that they will be all right. And everyone starts to feel better. And then Locke grabs a whole bunch of rope and he's like, I'm going back. I'm going in that hatch. I got stuff to do. Yeah, he won't wait. And I do like I do like that speech though of like you know it's good to wait it's good to wait for this it's good to wait for the people on the raft it's good to wait for this I'm done waiting. Yes, Locke gives a very good speech about this, and, and he's you right. Know, as much as we have issues with the the zealotry of John Locke, there is something really endearing about a character being proactive. I re you know it's which is so, why yeah. I always preferred Locke to Jack. It's always, like, he, he definitely often barrels down the wrong direction, but at least he's trying. At least he's trying something. And yeah, Jack's not the boss of him. He can do what he wants. And Kate tells Jack that she's going with Locke, and why wouldn't she? She's a detective, and there's a mystery to be solved. <gasps> yeah! You're, are you leaning in? Are you leaning in, Will? Yes. Yeah, I'm, Detective Kate for the win! <laughs> I can't wait for the uh, crossover between Detective Kate and Detective Pikachu. Yes, they would be the best team. Did you see the second trailer drop today? I haven't. Oh, but oh, I like the first trailer. For someone who knows nothing or cares nothing of Pokemon... I'm in for Detective Pikachu. Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so, I'm so excited. And now I need Evangeline Lilly to be in the movie, too. So now, it's funny, because for the rest of this episode, there's, there's more mechanics to discuss than I think, than I think, uh, emotional oh. dissection or things like that. Because Kate, Gets to the hatch and she's like, "I thought you'd be down there already." And he goes, "He goes, I was waiting for you." Bait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need a guinea pig. And Locke's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna lower you down." She's like, uh. "And I mean, Locke is using." Here's the thing: I think Locke is just being logical and pragmatic because Locke doesn't have, I think, any fear about what's down there legitimately. So he starts lowering Kate down. <laughs> At one point... He also has a good sense of people, and we know he's good at manipulating people, but he also knows... He, he, Kate's he, up for it. Yeah, he also knows that this is something that she's going to want to do, and that he probably couldn't talk her out of even if he wanted to. So yeah, might as well lean into the joke of like, ah, you're going first, the ladies first. He's lowering down, he almost drops her because of like a branch fall, the falls off a tree and it's... <laughs> You know, and he's like, ah, and his hands are bleeding, he's holding on. Yeah. Can I just also say, any time in, like, movies and stuff like that, when a character's holding on to rope, and all of a sudden it starts, like, slicing their hands, I'm always like, ah, no! Oh, yeah. Oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> so, he's lowering her, and then, like, she starts dropping real fast, but then he stops it, and then there's, like, Kate's about to, like, kind of question, like, 
maybe I'll, oh I guess I'm going down like it just keeps lowering her and then she's down towards the bottom and she's like there's something down here and, and then... a light comes on and she's pulled in somewhere and obviously we're supposed to think like smoke monster or something or a light it's, monster it's very it's very x-files like with the the bright fluorescent light yes it's funny because if we didn't know that there was a man living down there i definitely would have been like aliens <laughs> you know there's something funny about because it's like before she's pulled away she's bathed in this light and we know there's like the two sides of the same coin, the mm-hmm. the the dark and the light. One of the, one is light and one is dark. I mean that's not what this is. No. But it's interesting if you if you didn't know where the series was going, you might think it's the inverse of the the smoke monster. So anyway, Jack shows up because of course Jack can't leave well enough alone. No. <laughs> Although it's a good thing he does, you know, where for all of our griping about Jack being a sourpuss, it is good that he showed up. So Jack shows up, and uh, he sees that they're not there. So he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down there." Yes, I gotta fix this. <laughs> yeah, I will fix you. That's what he says to the hatch. <laughs> And the hatch is like, you blew me into pieces. No, you won't. <laughs> so he sneaks down. When he gets to the bottom, he finds a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Clearly Locke had uh, taken off his shoes. I mean... Probably for sneaking purposes. <laughs> when you enter somebody's house, it's only polite to ask <laughs> if they prefer you keep your shoes at the front. And this <laughs> is where we get to see a little bit more of the hatch, not necessarily the domesticated areas. There's kind of a mural that he walks by. Uh, we see those mirrors that, you know, yep. they're uh, the security cameras. Um, and we were, we were talking a little bit at the, uh, the start of the episode. It's got this very Cold War uh, movie set vibe to it. Well, it's almost like, a, like you know, the bunker you're going to wait out the apocalypse in, which yeah. is what it kind of is. Particularly the Cold War style bunker. Yeah. Because, you know, it, because of the computer and, um, and this is where we, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first time we're seeing Dharma Initiative logos on everything? Because I, I distinctly remember seeing Dharma Initiative logos appear on one or two, like, panels. Is this the first time we're seeing Dharma Initiative logos? I don't recall seeing it at all during season one that we just watched. So I would say yes. I mean, watch, there's probably something in the background somewhere <laughs> that we missed. But Which, maybe not, because really we aren't into any Dharma areas Not yet. yet, no. Although I will say, we were joking about the Umbrella Corporation earlier. I'm fairly certain the Dharma Initiative and the Umbrella Corporation could be the same thing. <laughs> the, um, I can't remember what the name of this hatch was because they all have different names. Didn't the names keep changing too? Because they there were just so many. There's Spoiler uh, alert, guys. There are so many lies that get told about these hatches and their purposes. And well, their purposes, but the names are, I believe, are consistent. the same. Okay. Yeah. I, point being, I don't remember what the name it's of this hatch is. It's been a while. I can't remember what the name of this one is. The Four Billion Bean Hatch. 
<laughs> like, we need a place to put all the beans. <laughs> and we're going to put on, on the side of the hatch the exact number of beans that are in this hatch. It'll be the four billion bean hatch. So, Jack also walks past this one wall that's clearly magnetized because the key that he wears around is... What a cool, what a cool moment. Yeah, it's clearly being drawn away from his chest towards the wall. Which makes me go, like, medical equipment, military-grade stuff? What's going on here? And then he walks into the big main room mm-hmm. where there's the computer. And again, everything's a little antiquated. Which it, makes you go, how long How long has this guy been down here? And then we find out that Locke's there, but he's got someone who's got a gun on him. And Locke's basically like... Just listen to this guy. And why wouldn't you, Jack? Because what's the alternative? What's your play here? But Jack doesn't want to put down his gun. And he's looking at the, the guy who's telling him to put down the gun. Brother. And he's calling him brother. And Jack looks at him and is like, huh? And it's Desmond. Bum, bum, bum. This is so cool. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, and it might not be, I can't remember whether it's the next episode, because I can't remember what the name of the next episode is, but we're going to see some of these, we're going to see this showdown from like Kate's perspective, we're going to see it from different... Yeah, because we don't know where Kate is at this point. Yeah. We just... Interestingly enough, she's not the one being held at gunpoint, but Jack's screaming about where Kate is, which is so fucking stupid, that's not your play, because for all Jack knows... This guy with the gun doesn't know there's somebody else down there. Yeah. I I also want to point out, my, my favorite thing about this whole scenario is John Locke clearly has a gun on him. And you, again, you see the look on Terry O'Quinn's face. And, you know, the, the performance that he's giving is one of fear and apprehension, but also real uncertainty. Because you can tell this isn't the sort of trial he expected to undergo, you know, inside this hatch if he was expecting to be tested in some way you can tell that he much like the rest of us was not expecting there to be a dude in this in this hatch so like you're you're seeing all of this conveyed on Locke's face and what does jack do like it doesn't matter to him that Locke's life is at stake what matters to him in this moment is rubbing it in he goes is this our destiny, John? It's like, dude, there is a guy with a gun. What are you doing? Why are you rubbing it in the man's face who is at gunpoint? What are you doing, Jack? These could be your last words to John Locke. This guy could easily lose his temper and blow his brains out. What are you doing? Locke is a zealot, but Jack is an asshole. <laughs> like, you would, like... Again, am, am I wrong in like assuming that like this is a really shitty thing for Jack to do? Oh, is you to are not wrong. It? Okay, and look, guys, we we rag on Jack. We're not saying that these like these are character flaws and character defects. We're not saying that he's a bad character. He's just a character with a lot of problems. Like, and that's fine. That's fine when you're look, you're doing a dramatic show. It's okay. Here's the thing. I. I've always had a problem with Jack. 
I will have a problem with Jack throughout this podcast. It doesn't mean that when we reach the very end of the series that I am not going to be crying over mm-hmm. Jack. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, I have a love-hate thing with Jack. And a lot of my hate with Jack comes in, in Locke will, I think in season four, really call him out on this. When he will be like, like, you've seen, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, like, you've seen this shit go down, and yet you still won't believe. And that's what has always frustrated me about Jack. See, my my issue, in this exact moment, maybe I'll feel differently when we get a little later down the line, but my thing is that right now, there, this is a literal life and death stakes at, at play in the last couple of minutes of this episode. And what does Jack do? Jack has to be right. Do you ever have any of those friends who, like, have to be right and have to, like, rub your face in it, like, whenever they can? It's just like, oh, this again. Like, I told you we shouldn't have gone to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) I told you we should have taken the train. Like, no matter what, they always have to be right. Jack is that friend. I did that to someone the other day. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, they were running late, and I was like, what happened? And they were like, well, you know, Waze said to go all the way down to Vine, but all these streets were closed, so it took like an hour. I said, why don't you just go up the canyon like I told you? Take 20 minutes. <laughs> they're like, well, we should have done that. I said, yeah. I told you to. Now, here's the thing. If you were both being held at gunpoint, would you be? Would you still be like, why didn't you take, <laughs> why didn't you go through the canyon, you schmuck? Well, What's depends, wrong with you? It depends who's holding us at gunpoint. <laughs> I told you we should have taken the canyon route. Well, we might die. Yeah, and whose fault is that? <laughs> Was it destiny that we ended up here? It wouldn't have been if we took the canyon. <laughs> yeah. You know where you know, destiny, Laurel Canyon is where all destiny... Uh... That's where all paths lead, Laurel Canyon. So, I've got a very easy... Uh, light and dark Jacob Man in Black for this one. I, I think we might have the same, in all honesty. And I'm I'm okay with us having the no, same. No, my man in black is stupid. <laughs> okay, maybe it'll be different. Um okay, so go ahead and give your man in white. Oh my my light? Yeah. The opening. The opening is tremendous. Like we, we I mean we've gushed about it for like the first ten minutes of this podcast. It is it is just the right amount of mysterious uh, the set design, the editing, the music choice, everything plays into that. It's masterful visual storytelling, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, as masterful as the opening is, it's, it's a fantastic piece of television. It was very, very well constructed. I actually have to give it to the moment where Jack and Desmond are talking for the first time because yes. this is our this is our real introduction to Desmond as a person. Who, He's not like a mysterious figure. Oh, go ahead. Who you couldn't have known at that moment, but no. was going to become one of the most and, beloved characters on this series. And this is this is a one hundred percent hindsight thing. And like I said, I was I'm having a really crummy day, guys. Um, but you know what? All of a sudden, made me feel like a human being again. Hearing, hearing Desmond say brother, like hearing him talk with Jack, and even though he is kind of spewing silly nonsense at him, hearing Desmond for the first time since I finished watching this show, it 
it made my heart feel really warm. It made me it made me very nostalgic for a character I didn't realize I missed this much. Do we find Desmond's nonsense not so nonsensical because he says it in a charming Scottish Absolutely. accent? Absolutely. I I would be, I would totally I would buy literally anything sold to me in a Scottish accent. I am Does, telling you that, that is a character flaw for me. It is my Achilles heel. I yeah. Does <laughs> our American accent play that way to anyone in other <laughs> countries? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I know what this was like ten years ago, but when I was a college student. <clears throat> And I was in uh, the UK for a little while, um, hanging out in some pubs. There were there were guys that thought that they could cater to my American sensibilities. One guy tried to pick me up by saying he had a Hummer, and I was like, "Why?" <laughs> this oh. was two thousand like seven, so we were in the middle of like all this gas crisis and uh, stuff like we, that. What are we putting out there to the world? <laughs> And he was like, hey, uh, I just uh, I just bought a Hummer. And I'm like, ooh, why? Why did you do that? And he looked so confused. And then, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent. He he tried, like, name-dropping a couple other things, like McDonald's and, like, other sort what? of American brands. And when that clearly wasn't winning me over, he was like, no. He straight up looked at me and he goes, no. I want a stereotype. I want somebody who eats McDonald's. I want somebody who does this. I want somebody who wears Nikes. And he literally stopped mid-sentence, dropped down, because I was sitting on a bar stool, dropped down to pull up my jeans to look at what kind of shoes I was wearing. I was wearing Skechers. He looked up at me like I was a traitor to America. And then he, again, without a word, grabs my roommate's uh, jeans because she's also sitting on a bar stool right next to me, lifts up her jeans to see what kind of shoes she's wearing, wearing the exact same pair of Skechers in a different color. Everyone in America, that's the stereotype. <laughs> hey, Skechers, it's the S. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, um, I don't know what we're putting out there, and I don't know if any people from... Europe find our American accents particularly charming. You know what? I bet they find Southern accents charming. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain charm with that Southern drawl. I guess so. Like the Sawyer Southern drawl. Okay. Who, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't Sawyer's be down with that? <laughs> um. What's your Man in Black? Well, they doubled down um, on an idea that ultimately wouldn't pan out, and they, at this point in time, they should have known it was a bad idea. Like, I understand what they were going for. And they were already they committed, were... though, to having to do something Walt-related. Yeah, but it's still My Man in Black. Like I No, don't... yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I don't disagree. Like, it's a problem. But I feel a little, like, the writers had written themselves in, into a corner. To a corner yeah. Now, here, uh, go ahead and give your Man in Black, and then I want to go off on a little bit of a tangent about that, if that's okay. Uh, my Man in Black is Jack's stupid fucking haircut. Go... <laughs> Go to your go on your tangent. <laughs> His dumb leg. Yeah, because it was very distracting. I mean, you know I even what? wrote a note. It says "His hair!" Exclamation point. I mean, that's fair. And go on, you go on to your. Be, to be fair, this is a very tight episode. It's great. 
uh, like I said, emotionally, it made my heart sing. It had a couple great visual sequences in it. This is a solid episode. Go on your, take us out on a, your tangent. Um, and my, then I'm going to blow my, my nose my loudly into the microphone. <laughs> my tangent is that, like, I was telling you a little bit of this off uh, off mic, well, but recently, uh, a lot of stuff with the the Voltron fandom has made me completely reevaluate the way I look at this podcast and the way I talk about Lost, because I understand what it's like to be disappointed by a show's ending and to think that you wasted a lot of time with it. However, like, I just wanted to make sure, like, well, like, I never make you feel like, like I'm angry at you when I dislike certain plot points and other things like that, right? Yeah, I don't know, because I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I just look at you the way Jack looks at Hurley when he <laughs> says... Uh, You're a clearly a, a crazy a person. A crazy person. But, like, my, my point being it's is... The, uh, it is the theme of our show. <laughs> it's made me completely reevaluate, like, my stance. And I'm like, am I... Am I the bad guy here, you know, ranting and raving about a show that ended, like, almost a decade ago? Well, now, ago? here's the thing. Let's, let's just break Am this I down. Am I the bad guy, Let's Will? break this down really fast. Um, because you're not the bad guy. But I guess... I assume the people who are listening to this podcast <laughs> are... I, I assume that they aren't people who hate loss. Like, even if they so. were disappointed by it, the way it ended, I assume there are people who, who love Lost. I assume there are more people listening to this with my attitude about <laughs> Lost than your attitude about Lost. So on some level, when you signed up for this podcast, you signed up to play the heel. <laughs> you know, but I think, one, I think everybody understands that. Two, we haven't really gotten anything that you've egregiously hated yet. And Except the incest. <laughs> yeah, but that's a theme on any show that we, we do that's together. Very true. That there's a problem with incest in you. Um, and, but the, the third point being, I am still convinced that on this rewatch, you are going to like it more. Like, part of this is me going to try to win you over. <laughs> And just the way that you're backing down from your heel stance right now makes me think I'm winning. Well, so far, you like I said, you caught me on a bad day because I, I don't have a fire in me today. Because right now, I, I do want to point out, guys, if you are disappointed by the way a show ends, like Voltron or How I Met Your Mother or Lost, don't take it out on the people who make this show because... Uh, I say this as somebody who is disappointed with Lost and who was disappointed by How I Met Your Mother, who wasn't disappointed by Voltron, but, like, you're not entitled to anything, and it doesn't give you the right to rag on people who did enjoy it. Like, well, like, the fact that you enjoyed the end of Lost, I think, is fine. Like, I'm glad that you could enjoy something that I can't take joy in. I'm glad that you could take joy in that, and I... <laughs> throughout the course of this podcast, I will win. No, um, <laughs> but we, we started this podcast with the agreement that that was sort of the ground rules. Yeah. Um, but, like, I'm not, I don't want anybody to feel like I think you're a bad person for, like, liking the end of Lost, and I don't want anybody to think that I think J.J. Abrams or Damon Lindelof or Jack Bender or any of the, or any of the showrunners, Javier, whose name, whose last name we can't pronounce, um, we don't, 
I don't hate any of them, and I think that they've done a lot well, of good. You know, it's interesting because Twitter wasn't really... I think Twitter was a thing, but it wasn't really a thing when Lost ended. Like, yeah. it was kind of a new thing. It was a, it was a very new thing. Like, I think it started right around when I was in college. When I first got on Twitter, one of my favorite people on Twitter was Damon Lindelof. Uh, he was hilarious and insightful. He also had this long, ongoing Twitter thing about Justin Bieber. And Justin <laughs> Bieber had bought some spiked yellow hat that Damon Lindelof was obsessed with. And he would just always tweet about this hat. And then somebody took the photo of Damon Lindelof that he used on Twitter and put superimposed that hat onto it, and Lindelof used that as his early, Twitter photo. Early 2010s Twitter was weird. <laughs> and then Breaking Bad ended. And Breaking Bad, I think, is universally thought of. And because this isn't a Breaking Bad spoiler show, we won't say what happened if for some reason you haven't watched it by now. I actually haven't. <laughs> but Breaking Bad is a really great finale and it's a really clean finale. It's not a it's not a divisive finale. It very cleanly wraps the story up in a logical and satisfying way that everybody loved. And for whatever reason, everybody went after Damon Lindelof because they're all of a sudden, people started tweeting at him because Lindelof loved Breaking Bad and was tweeting about how he loved it. So people started tweeting at him, that's how you end a show. How yeah, you? basically, like, this is uh, how you're supposed to end a show. Because, like, this that was how... still only, like, what, two years after it was, Lost had ended? Three you know, years, maybe? Maybe three, yeah. And everyone was tweeting at him, like, this is how Vince Gilligan knows what he's doing. You don't know what you're doing. All this stuff. And Damon Lindelof was like, I'm out. And he left Twitter. And he's... I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I've been blocking people on Twitter all day because of the Voltron fandom. I've been blocking people on Twitter all day because I'm okay with the finale. And we interviewed the showrunners and people are just so vitriolic about it. And yeah, it's it's just been a nonstop thing. And I, I just hope that in, throughout the course of this podcast, even though I've signed up to be the heel... I just hope I never come off the way the people I've blocked on Twitter come off to me. I'm sure, once again, everyone listening to this knows what they've signed up for. And two, <laughs> I feel like I used heels specifically because of wrestling. <laughs> and, you know, those are like characters yeah, you exactly. love to hate. You're kind like, oh, uh, yeah. But we haven't really fought a lot yet. I'm waiting for us to have some big blowouts. I bet you it's going to be end of season two, beginning of season three, when everybody's in polar bear cages. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I have forgotten a lot of season two. I know there's a lot of good stuff in season two, but I know that there, there's... I've forgotten so much. Well, we're about to find out on our second season of No Love Lost. Megan... Mm -hmm. Tell the people where they can find you. First of all, I, would, um, I just want to say thanks for thanks for letting me go off on that tangent, and thanks for thanks for reassuring me that I might be the heel, but I'm not the bad guy. Yes. All right. Thanks. <laughs> uh, you guys can keep up with me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. Uh, I'm also a member of the Rooster Team Radio, where we talk about all things Rooster Teeth related, and also I have a YouTube channel called Silver Scream. So be sure to check all that out. And you can follow me on Twitter at 
The Real Will Link. Uh, will Sean podcast is back, so you can listen to that. My other podcast. Woo! The podcast that started it all. Started what? Started this movement of me doing podcasts. <laughs> and um, I wrote a book. It is called Crazy About Kurt. You can buy it on Amazon. It uh, On Kindle, it's only $1.99. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. So that'd be really stupid not to get it. And uh, it's about the 90s. And it's about uh, growing up on Long Island in the 90s. Growing up. It's about over one night. It follows four teenagers. Their stories intersect. But it, it's, it's when, nostalgic. It takes place on the day Kurt Cobain died. When, when you were telling me about it initially and you pitched it to me as American Graffiti, but in the 90s and on Long Island, I was like, sign me up. Like, that, it's such a good, it was such a good pitch. Like, That's, uh... Check it out, guys. Check it out. Give it a read. Um, so yeah, we're into season two. It's crazy. Uh, things are about to get crazy. And, uh, see you in another life, brother. He said the thing! Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will mm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. Uh, not as frequently as usual. <laughs> but you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, these are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. We're on the same network. <laughs> so yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. <laughs> you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>